It's the first Sunday in December, and I know Christmas is on everyone's mind. And, and last night at bedtime with my eight-year-old Maddie, I said to Maddie, Maddie, how many Christmas gifts do you want this year? Dangerous question to ask an eight-year-old. How many Christmas gifts do you want? How many Christmas gifts will be enough? And she goes, one, two, three, and she keeps counting, and I'm like, stop, 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 and I keep telling her, stop, stop, we're, she's laughing, and we're joking, and then she gets to 10, and she stops, and I thought, that's not terrible, you know, for an eight-year-old, 10 Christmas gifts, is not too greedy, right, and then I said to her, Maddie, 10, 10's enough, huh, not 11, and she looks at me, and she goes, 11, 12, 13, how much is enough? It's a question we're faced with a lot this time of the year. How much is enough? How do you know you've made enough dessert for your family that's coming over? How do you know that you've listened to enough Christmas music, that you have enough Christmas spirit, that you've done enough Christmas shopping, that you've bought enough for the people that you love? How much is enough? And in Philippians chapter 4, as Paul wraps up this beautiful letter, he talks to us about the topic of contentment. What does it mean to be content, to live content, to simply say, it's enough? And I think it's a challenge, and I'm going to talk about why in just a moment, but this time of the year especially where everything is glittery and shiny and there's deals and there's pressure and there's hype and there's got to have all of it, how do we know that we have enough? How do we live content? I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, and these are the last words that Paul wrote to this church. He, he actually was executed not long after writing these words, so these are some of the last words that Paul wrote. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So Paul's saying, I'm glad because now you are giving towards me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's a big verse from Philippians. I can do all things through Christ or him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, so he's saying when I first started doing ministry among you, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. It was the church in Philippi that financially blessed, encouraged, and supported Paul, and only them. And he remembers that. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So he said, the giving's not for me, it's actually for you. Then he goes on to say, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Another famous verse. And then his benediction. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So this morning, we're going to talk about living content. We're going to see three things, that there's a struggle, there's a standard, and there's a secret. What is the struggle with living content? What is the standard of living content? And then what is the secret 
to living content. So let's talk first about the struggle. The struggle, hashtag the struggle is real. The struggle with living content. I have this conversation every now and then with my friends who are convinced that Facebook listens to them. And the reason why they're convinced that Facebook listens to them is because the advertisements that come up on their Facebook feeds are eerily similar to things they just talked about the day before. It's weird, right? And so people are just sure, like, Facebook is listening, and they hear what we're interested in, and then they send us advertisements to make us buy stuff. I actually listened to a whole podcast on this topic, uh, experts. And, 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 of course, Facebook has been asked this question many times, the management of Facebook. Are you listening in on people who use your social media's account? And, of course, Facebook says over and over, no, we do not listen. We, we never listen. Well, the point of the podcast was whether Facebook listens or doesn't listen, it almost doesn't matter. Because Facebook has all the information they need to know about you to advertise perfectly to you all the time, even if they can't hear your conversations. Because there are settings in Facebook that know where you're at at all times when your phone is with you. And they also know all the searches that you do online, so they know what you're interested in. So if you're searching for dog food for your new puppy, then inevitably at some point on your Facebook feed is going to become an advertisement for the best dog food for puppies. Facebook knows what you're doing online. It also knows what you're doing offline. Facebook knows when you walk into a store at the mall, they know that you're in that store because they're tracking you. And so they advertise you based on where you, in fact, one of the examples that, I, that was shared in this podcast is that if you fly from New York to California to visit a family member and your family member in California has been searching for a new mattress and then Facebook knows that you are with your loved one because they know where you both are, you will actually get advertisements for mattresses on your Facebook feed. And so you'll be like, that's so weird. You were just talking to me yesterday about a, mat about a mattress, and now it's on my Facebook feed. Facebook must be listening to me. And it's like, no, Facebook almost doesn't need to listen to us. It has so much information about our lives. And we live in this society, this consumeristic society, where we are constantly being marketed to and advertised to, and we have unprecedented access to options. Last week, I was on Amazon just trying to buy a new charging cable for my phone, and I just it hurt my brain how many options there were. And I'm the guy that wants to get the best. I don't want to get ripped off. And so I'm reading reviews, and I'm looking at how many stars, and I'm three pages in to charger cables. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Just pick one. <laughs> Unprecedented access to options. And in this world that we live in, Paul's saying, live content. Live content. And the heart of the struggle to live content isn't just that we want stuff. We do want stuff, but it's more than that. What we really want is what we've been told over and over and over again, that stuff will give us. That stuff will do for us. It will give us status. It will give us security. It will give us significance, worth, meaning, and happiness. You know, you're not being sold stuff. You're being sold a story. If you watch commercials, it's like, if you drink this drink, then you'll be at the best parties, right? Because everybody at the party is drinking that drink. And if you wear this cologne, then everybody's going to want to be around you. And if you drive this car, then you'll be driving peacefully, quietly down empty highways for the rest of your life. You're not being sold stuff. You're not being sold product. You're not being sold trips. You're not being sold events. You're being sold a narrative. You're being sold a story. And it's a better version of the life you're currently living. That's what they're selling you. Or it's a version of someone else's life that you wish you could live. Which, by the way, is such a trap now because of social media. We know each other's lives. Well, kind of. What we really know is the best versions of each other's lives. We know the highlight reels. of each other. No one ever posts a picture of a terrible meal they had. It's only the best meals they've had. Nobody posts a picture of the worst vacation. People post the best aspects of their lives. And so we're on social media. We're always connected. We know who's out there. We know what they're doing. We know what they have. And it's so hard 
to be content. And there's so many people who think, maybe if my circumstances would change, then I would finally be content. My contentment is tied to my circumstances. If only I could have this. If only I had a better job. If only I had a better spouse. If only I lived in a bigger home. If only I looked this way, had this ability. Someday when, when I get, you know, sometimes we think, if I just made more money, then I could live comfortable. And I wouldn't have to live the way I am right now, which is paycheck to paycheck. But you know what? Research was done recently, and the research shows that 50% of people who make six figures, $100,000 a year or more, 50% of them live paycheck to paycheck. Most of us, you know, if you don't make six figures, you probably thought, you probably are thinking, if I made six figures, I wouldn't have to live the way I live. And yet, even though these people are making a lot of money, they're still living that way. Why? Because they're not content. If you have more, if you get a better job with better salary, you got to move into a better neighborhood and you got to drive a better car and you got to go on better vacations and you got to afford nicer things. This is what happens when we are not content. Paul makes it clear here that what makes this even more difficult is that living content has nothing to do with how much you actually have. You cannot gain your way towards contentment. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, the second half, Paul says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I sort of think that, or I, th- I would think that it should say, I have learned the secret of facing hunger and need, because isn't that really hard? Isn't it really hard to be content when you're hungry and when you're in need? Paul's telling us something very profound here. He's saying it's just as hard to be content when you have a lot as is when you have little. Being content has nothing to do with how much you actually have, because actually the more you get, the more you often want. The more you have of something, the more it often has of you. And Paul knew what it was like to go in bad times and good times. 2 Corinthians 11, look at, what, look at Paul's life. He's summarizing his life for the people in Corinth. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. The Jewish, they, they, they had this rule that 40 lashes was too severe, so they stopped at 39. Very kind. Um, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. It starts to sound like a Dr. Seuss book here. Danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night. We can all uh, relate to that. In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul knew what it was like to lack and to be hungry and to be in need and to have nothing. And yet in those moments, he learned the secret of being content. But he also said the same secret to being content when you have little is necessary when you have much in abundance. Living content has nothing to do with how much you have. In fact, it's just as hard to be content with much as it is to be content with little. It might even be harder because the only worse thing than not getting what you want is getting it and realizing it doesn't make me happy. The most miserable people in the world who experience the sort of despair that most of us will never experience are the people who have everything, and, but they have everything except an explanation for why they're still miserable, why they're still unhappy. That's the worst kind of despair. That's the worst kind of misery. And so there's a secret to contentment whether you have little or whether you have much. Now, let me say one more thing about this because this struck me this week. I think this is really important for us to hear. The contented life is not just about money or wealth or possessions. It's about every aspect of life. The reality is is that most of us are not content with many things. So let me give you an example. Are, Are you content, are we content with where we are at any moments? 
Are we content to be present in any specific space? We live in a world now where you go out to dinner and you look around the, you look around the restaurant and you see tables full of people who love each other and care about each other and every single one of them is on their phone. And they're on their phone and they're not there. They're not present. It's a struggle for some of us this morning to sit in church and to be present and to listen because your minds are on what are we having for lunch later, what's going on with this, what's going on with that, what's work going to be like tomorrow. Like just to be present in a moment and actually give your attention is contentment. And when we refuse to do so, it's showing I'm not content. I'm not content here, but maybe I'll open up my phone and I'll be content there. I'm not content now, but maybe if I plan for tomorrow, I'll be content then. Contentment is way more about possessions and stuff that we have. Contentment is just, is your heart at rest at any moment? Can you be fully present and with people now? Can you be content with who God has given you, your family, your, your spouse, your, your opportunities, content with what you're doing? Or is it always like, I do something more exciting, flashier, uh, something better? Are you content with what God has given you? Or are you always looking what God has given other people and, and wondering why you don't have what other people have? Are you content with what you can do? Or are you always wishing that you could do what someone else can do. This issue of contentment, the struggle with contentment, it's significant and it's real and it really controls our lives in many ways. And in the midst of it, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content, the struggle. Second thing that we learn in this passage is the standard of living content. Verse 12, Paul opens it up with these words. He says, I know how to be brought low. This humiliation, this, this humbling of oneself. And when Paul uses this phrase, I know how to be brought low, he is referencing something that he wrote a couple chapters earlier. Maybe you'll remember it. In Philippians 2.8, Paul talks about Jesus Christ who humbled himself left heaven, came to earth, humbled himself, became like one of us, became a servant, became one who, was, who died a death, but not just any death, the worst kind of death, the death on a cross. Specifically, he says that Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, that Christ was brought low. So when Paul says in this verse, I know how to be brought low, here's what he's saying. The standard of living content is the life of Jesus Christ. Look at the life that Jesus lived, that he was content. How was Jesus content? Well, he was content to leave heaven to come to earth. Jesus was content to be born into a scandalous situation. Jesus was content to be born to nobodies, born in a nobody place, his birth announced to a bunch of nobodies. Jesus was content to live in obscurity for 30 years. For 30 years, the Son of God is basically off the radar. Jesus was content to live in obscurity. Jesus was content to be poor. He was never wealthy. He was never rich. He died without a single dime to his name. Jesus was content to be misunderstood, misrepresented, wronged, lied about. Jesus was content to have the leftover people become his followers, followers who got it wrong more than they got it right. Jesus was content to make himself nothing. Jesus was content to take the towel of a servant and wash the feet of his disciples, the same disciples who would deny him, betray him, and abandon him hours later. Jesus was content to serve. Jesus was content to spend a whole afternoon with the Samaritan woman when he could have been doing so much else. Jesus was content to spend an evening with Nicodemus, opening up the kingdom to him. Jesus was content for children to come to him in a society that didn't value children. Jesus was content to embrace lepers in a society that would never have allowed a leper to come near. Jesus was content to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was content to suffer and die. The standard of living content is Jesus. Contentness. And living content means 
that Jesus had to trust the Father even when he couldn't see what the Father was doing. Now, on one hand, Jesus did understand what the Father was doing, but on the other hand, we know that there, were, there was a prayer in the garden where Jesus said, hey, Dad, if there's another way, let's go that way, a different way. But living contentment, trusting the Father, it means for you and me, trusting God, even when we can't see what God is doing, even when we don't understand. Just two days ago, I got a text from a Kyle from missionary in New York City who said, I'm discipling a young man, and the young man has gone through a lot of trauma in his life, and the question he can't get over is, where was God? That's a real question. Some of you ask that regularly. When this happened, where was God? When this happened to me, when this situation, maybe some of you are in a season right now where you feel like, where are you, God? What are you doing? That's a good question. It's an honest question. It's an okay question to bring to God. But he was asking me, what do I do? I don't know how to answer this. I'm trying to tell him, well, God's there and he's at work and he's faithful and he's sovereign. And he's, and he's, you know, this is what he's doing and where is God? And the only thing I could say to him was, Number one, you just gonna have, you gotta walk with this person, okay? No answer is gonna fix this. You just gotta be their best friend. Just love them and serve them. But secondly, I said to them, the, the question you wanna move them from is where is God to who is God? Ask them. I know you wanna answer, I know you want an answer to where is God, but let me ask you this question. Who is God? Who do you believe God to be? Why? Because it's in the character of God that we learn to trust him. Listen, you're going to have to learn to trust God's character more than you can trust what he's doing because you're not always going to see what he's doing. You're not always going to understand God's plans. There are many things that have happened in my life that I still don't understand what God was doing, but I'm trusting in his character, that he's good, that he's gracious, that he's faithful, that he knows, that he loves. It's not where is God, it's who is God. And living content means... That even when you don't know where God is, you remind yourself of who God is. And you rest in that. You don't have to get your way because you know that God ultimately will always get his way. The standard of contentment is Christ. Are we able, this is a good question for you to reflect on this morning, for me to reflect on. Am I able to rest and be present in my station in life right now and in my season of life? Or am I clawing my way out of it? always looking to the horizon. There's nothing wrong with having vision for your life. There's nothing wrong with having dreams. But don't allow that to become an excuse for you not to be content where the Lord has placed you in the season that you're at. Living content is choosing to be fully present in every moment that God gives you because every moment is a gift because guess who else is fully present in every moment? The Lord. God's not in tomorrow waiting for us to catch up with him. He's here right now in this moment, wanting to encounter us, wanting to meet with us, wanting to encourage us, wanting to strengthen us. And so many of us miss what God is saying and doing right now because we're not living right now. We're living in 15 years ago. We're living in 15 days from now. And it's an issue of contentment. To be content is to be present fully in every moment, knowing that the Lord is fully present in every moment. The standard of living content is Jesus. And then the last thing this morning is this. The strength. Where do we get the strength or the secret? What is the secret to living content? Or what is the strength for living content? And, and, and contentment, by the way, when Jesus, or, sorry, when Paul used the word content, when he said, I have learned to be content in all circumstances, just the use of that Greek word would have made everybody's ears perk up because it, Paul doesn't use that word anywhere else. In fact, it's not a word that Christians use very much. The Greek word content was a stoic word. There was a philosophy that was predominant at that time called stoicism. And it's sort of what we still, when we call somebody stoic now, what do we mean? They're not very expressive. 
They don't show how they're feeling. And Stoicism was this philosophy, and at the center of Stoicism, the essence of all virtues was this word content. But they used it very differently than Paul's using it here, because to the Stoic, contentment meant I'm independent from anyone else and anything else. I am self-sufficient. Everything I need is inside of me, and so what happens around me doesn't affect me, and so I am content in my Stoicism. But Paul is not saying to us, listen, the answer or the secret to contentment is inside of you. Paul is saying it's not about being self-sufficient. It's about being God-sufficient, because it's in Christ's strength that we can do all things. Paul is sufficient and content, not because he's independent, but because he is dependent upon Christ. I'm going to ask Pastor Antonia to join me up here. The answer is not around you. You're not, going to, you're not going to get content by getting more stuff. The answer is not inside of you. You can't will yourself, work yourself, or desire yourself to contentment. The strength that we need to be content is found in looking to Christ in all things, trusting God in such a way that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now let's talk as we close about that verse, Philippians 4.13. I want to suggest it's the most misused verse in all of the Bible. Philippians 4.13 is that verse that people like to use at sporting events, right? Uh, a, a quarterback gets a tattoo, Philippians 4.13, across their chest. And what does it mean? It means I can throw touchdowns because Jesus gives me strength. I can break tackles because I can do anything because Christ gives me strength. The basketball player, I can score 60 points in a game because Christ gives me strength. Maybe even outside of the sports world, I can be successful in my career and I can climb the ladder because Jesus gives me strength. I can do anything and everything because Jesus gives me strength. That's not what this verse says. This verse does not say I can do anything or I can do everything. It says I can do all things. What are the all things? And anytime we're going to understand a scripture verse, we have to interpret it and read it in context. You can't pull a verse out like a Chinese fortune cookie thing and say it's going to mean whatever I want it to mean. It's got to mean now what it meant then. And Paul, in this context, the all things that Paul is saying, when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, if you read what he says before it and what he says after it, here's what he's saying. All things is living content when I have little and being content when I have much. Not letting my possessions own me, but owning my possessions. Not letting them control me, but to be con Whenever something came Paul's way, he had the strength to meet it because of who he was in Christ. When he was brought low, he was Paul in Christ. When he abounded, he was Paul in Christ. In every circumstance, he was Paul in Christ. Put your name in there. Who are you? I am David in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I find strength to do all things. What all things? To be content. When life's going my way, content. When life's not going my way, content. On the mountaintop, content. On the valley, in the valley, content. When I have much, content. When I have little, content. The secret to contentment, know who you are in Christ and find your strength in him. Be fully, listen to this, be fully satisfied in Christ's work on your behalf because the Father is fully satisfied in Christ's work on your behalf. Let me say it again. Be fully satisfied, content in what Jesus has done for you because the Father is fully satisfied in what Jesus has done for you. Father's not saying, what are you gonna do for yourself today? Strive and work hard. No, receive what Christ has done. Live in Christ. There's one final clue and I love this. This is my favorite part of this portion. One final clue to what the contented life looks like. 
And it's a verse that would be very easy to read right past. It seems very insignificant, but it's become one of my favorite verses in the book of Philippians. And it's verse 22. Paul's saying goodbye, and he says this. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Well, what's going on here? Why is Paul where he is when he writes this letter? Because he's imprisoned. He was arrested. He appealed to Caesar, and they sent him to Caesar. He's in Rome. He's imprisoned. He's in chains. He's living amongst Caesar's household. And Paul says to them with a twinkle in his eye, all the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. You know what Paul is saying? The gospel is in Caesar's household. There are soldiers and cooks and house cleaners and servants and slaves who would never have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But because Paul was content to be sent to Rome in chains, their eternal lives and destinies are changed. This is the most beautiful picture of contentment that we can see, that Paul was content to be sent by God and spent by God so that other people might know God's love. That's what it means to be content. Not that I might have a bigger house, a nicer car, go to better restaurants, go on the greatest vacations, fill my life up with stuff, but to be content in Christ means that I will be sent by God wherever he wants to send me, spent by God however he wants to spend my life, my time, my talent, my treasure, my resources, is why so that someday I can say all the saints greet you especially those that God brought me to John Calvin says it this way about this passage he says when Paul says especially the household of Caesar this is evidence of divine mercy that the gospel of Jesus Christ had penetrated the sink pit of the Roman Empire the crimes and the iniquities of the Roman Empire, that the gospel got somewhere where it never should have got, but why did it get there? Because Paul was content. He didn't have to go to Rome. He chose to go to Rome because the Father sent him. He was content in prison. He was content to be stripped of his freedom, content to be isolated in his ways, in some ways. Uh, he was content to be unable to visit his friends. He never would see these people again that he was writing. He would be executed soon after writing this letter. He was content to be disparaged by others, forgotten by others, lied about others. Why? Because he knew there was something more. His life was never about him. His life was always about God. And if you and I are going to live content, we have to regularly wrestle with this question. Am I content? to be sent by God and spent by God. We don't want to be sent anywhere by anyone. We want to control where we go and what we do. But to be content and say, God, wherever you need me to go, I'm going to go. You need me to love that person that's hard to love, I'm going to love them. You need me to serve that person who's very different than me, I'm going to serve them. We don't want to be spent by God. We want to spend our stuff on ourselves. But to be spent by God is what Paul says, that he would be poured out as a drink offering, that everything that God has given us is for his kingdom, for his glory, for his honor, because everything we have is from him. From him. To be content is to say, I'm willing, God, send me and spend me however you want. That's a hard, that's a hard prayer to pray. It's a hard prayer to pray. But we see that if we will pray that prayer and if we will live that way, then even the household of Caesar will hear the gospel and their lives will be changed. Let's pray together.